How many of you know that last song we sang, I Am Not Alone? How many of you have heard this song before? Not many. Some of you have. Okay. I asked Josh uh, to sing it because it's the sermon. So, uh, I mean, we could adjourn and just leave. That was the sermon. If you, if you actually understand um, that song, I'm going to share some of the lyrics again with you. Um, it's my new favorite song. Kari Job sings, When I walk through deep waters, I know that you will be with me. When I'm standing in the fire, I will not be overcome. Through the valley of the shadow, I will not fear. In the midst of deep sorrow, I shall see your light breaking through. The dark night will not overtake me. I'm pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle, and I will not fear. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but you know, if you actually believe that, if you really believe that, that He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death, as we talked about when we, I guess it was five weeks ago when I preached the 23rd Psalm, you, you can live huge and die well. You'll be ready to die well. Because you know that the Lord is always with you. I absolutely love this song. And it's our next get-to sermon. Um, this is an impromptu series. I did not plan on doing this series, but it's just what God has put on my heart and my mind the last four weeks. Um, we get to pray. It's not we have to pray. We get to pray. We get to talk to God. We get to sit in God's lap. We get to talk to Him and then we get to listen to Him. We get to be changed by Him as He teaches us what His perfect will for us is. Biblical prayer is not give me, give me, give me God. I need something. Give me that. Give me X. Give me Y. That is not biblical prayer at all. Biblical prayer is sitting in the lap of God and being changed and coming to love His will for us. So we get to pray. The second sermon in the series is we get to worship Jesus Christ. We get to do it. We don't have to do it. It's not a compelling for us in the sense that it's an, an obligation. We get to come and worship Christ. We not only worship Christ as we gather together as the body of Christ, but all of life is worship for us. Amen? All of life is worship for us. So we get to worship. It's the very best part of being a human being. That is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw it in Matthew 13.44. From joy the man sold all that he had that he might gain intimacy with Jesus. The third thing we talked about is we get to obey. Again, it's not we don't obey in, a, obey in a simply dutiful sense. Of course we should obey, but it's really not about should and ought. It's about I get to walk with God. I, get to, I am His disciple. I get to walk with the living God. Try and stop me from obeying God. I'm not saying any of us are perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the whole focus and drive of our life is to make much of Jesus in our obedience. That's what real Christianity is. I'm not talking about the pseudo stuff, the performance stuff. I'm talking about being a disciple. We get to obey God. And last week we said, <laughs> maybe one of my favorites, we get to believe Him. Right? We get to believe all these awesome and amazing and unbelievable things He's promised to us. We get every promise of God. 
If not here, then there, right? If we don't get it here, this is where the prosperity gospel gets all messed up. They think we're supposed to be able to get every promise now. That's not what the Bible says. We'll get every promise of God, if not here, there. And the lion's share of the promises of God for His people are there. We get to believe all of these awesome things. When it gets as bad as it possibly can get in our life, what do we believe? What do we believe? Romans 8.28 That God will work all things together for good. For those who love Him, those called according to His purpose, if it's the worst day of my life, I believe that. And I believe God's going to bring good in it and through it and out of it. And He's going to change me in the trial. This is how awesome our God is. He takes hard stuff and turns it into sweet stuff. Martin was sharing a little bit about that before the service. Last week I quoted American preacher John Piper. As you know, he's my favorite guy. And I was struck, and I quoted him. I'm, I'm struck. You know, he said, the true Christian is not moderately interested in Christ. It's not something we do in our spare time or if it's convenient, if I can fit him into my career or my marriage or my hobbies. It's not like that with the true believer. The true believer is not moderately interested in Jesus. We are passionately interested in Jesus. We are urgently interested in Jesus. He's first. Even above spouse, even above children, He's first. He is first. If we've met Him, we understand that. If we haven't met Him, we don't really understand that. It sounds alien and foreign. And if we've met Him, we understand. He is the most beautiful and compelling and desirable being in the cosmos. So this week, I said, Lord, I'm going to guess I'll start preaching through the Gospel of John. He said, No, I got another one for you. And this one is going to be a challenge for some of you. If you're a Christian with any maturity, if you know your Bible, you'll understand it. We get to suffer. We get to suffer for the name of Christ. It's what Kari Job is singing about. Again, if you're only moderately interested in Jesus, you cannot go to this place with, with Christ. You cannot go. You cannot go where the real believer goes. Which is, I worship Christ on my hardest day. When I can't cry anymore, I am engaged in worship. If they saw me in two... I will worship Christ. I will delight in Christ. We are never alone. It's what Kari Job is singing about. We are never alone. Ever. Never alone. God is with His people. God is always with His people. And some of you who have suffered greatly, most of you are young, and you haven't had an opportunity to suffer greatly, although some of you may have. You know this truth. God meets you in the hard place. God meets us in the hard place. We are not alone in our 
sufferings. Let me, uh, I'm just going to share five verses with you uh, pretty quickly. And I just want you to listen for this in the Bible. If you've not been taught this, if you don't understand this, I want you to listen to these verses. It's, it, it, it really can't be misunderstood if we just let the words mean what the words mean. Five, uh, Matthew 5, 10-11, at the outset of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who, are, who, are, uh, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Real Christians understand. Acts 14.22, regarding disciples of Jesus, the text says that the Apostle Paul was, through his preaching, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Eugene Peterson paraphrases that. Let me read it to you. It's really good. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Acts 14.22. He says, in, in the, the, the preaching of Paul, Paul is putting muscle and sinew in the lives of the disciples, urging them to stick with what they have begun to believe and not quit, making it clear to them that it won't be easy. You know, this should become part of our evangelism, I think, beloved. <laughs> we need to tell people, yes, come to Christ and be saved. Come to Christ and have eternal life. But understand, it may not be easy in this life. It may not be easy. In fact, the Lord is promising that sometimes it will not be easy to to speak the name of Christ. The world hates Him and consequently hates His people. Let me finish with the, the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hard times. And here's John 15, 18-20. Jesus said to the disciples, and I just referenced this, the world has hated me. It will hate you. I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, oh, guess what? They'll persecute you too. 1 Peter 4, 12. God says to His people through Peter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Did you notice this is not some strange thing? We expect this. If we know our Bibles, we expect persecution, right? We expect it. It's not a shock when it happens. It's not a shock. When I get when I, I'm just talking about the Lord at the university and I get crossed by somebody, it's not a shock. When I'm made fun at work because I stand uh, for the name of Christ, it's not a shock. We, we know it's going to happen. Jesus told us it's going to happen. It will happen. It will happen. And you guys know this one. 2 Peter 3.12 The Spirit says to the Apostle Paul, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will what? Someone tell me. All who desire to live godly in Christ will what? Be what? Persecuted. It's not if. It's that it will happen. All. It says all. 
All who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Beloved, there's no other path home. We will encounter this. It's just real for the believer. It's just real. And, and most of us have been blessed in growing up in what is called Christian culture. But even in so-called Christian cultures in the West, now the opposition is becoming more overt. It just happens for the Christian. So, the obvious theme running through these verses for the true believer is that Matthew 5, Jesus said there'll be persecution, insults, and false accusation. Paul says in Acts 14, there'll be many tribulations. Jesus says in John 15, we'll be hated and persecuted. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, that we should not be surprised by the sharing of the sufferings of Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us that it's a done deal. It's not that some or many or most will suffer persecution. It is that all will, to one degree or another. And we, we know the spectrum uh, is quite long from martyrdom to my friend cut me off and they don't want to be my friend anymore because they think I'm too radical. They think I'm too freaky about Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty big spectrum. So as we've seen the last few weeks, we get to pray, we get to worship, we get to obey, we get to believe, and beloved, we get to suffer. Is this good news or bad news for you? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, this is not good news, Pastor Jim. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. I want, a, I want a fun church sermon. Give me a fun church sermon, right? A happy church sermon. Beloved, if you know Christ, and He said this is necessary, don't you want it? It's not that we look for it or we go try to find it or we try to orchestrate persecution. That's never it. But we'll stand and lovingly speak the truth to every unbeliever who will listen to us. And if the persecution comes, it comes. In fact, we know it's coming. And we're not shocked. So we can actually do what Peter says in, in 1 Peter. When it comes, when the insult comes, when the abuse comes, when, the, the, when we're ostracized, when it all comes, what do we do? Does anybody remember? We went through 1 Peter a couple of years ago. Some of you guys were here. Does anybody remember? What does the real Christian do? We give a blessing. We give a blessing to those who persecute us. And who looks good when we give a blessing to someone who's persecuting us? Who looks good? Oh, guess what? Christ looks good. Christ looks real. When you can love your enemy or your persecutor in the face of persecution, you, your joy is so big in Christ, right? That this little offense does not really bother me too much. Yeah, my flesh is, is bowing up a little bit. But the Spirit of God is going to allow me to give a blessing to my persecutor. Beloved, this is, you know, this is Christianity. <laughs> this is mature Christianity. We all struggle with this. I'm not, I, I, I always make the qualification. I'm not, I, I'm not up here say, saying that I've arrived in every respect. 
Jesus has promised this for His people. So, what do you think? Are you on board? <laughs> I really think this should be part of our evangelism. Oh, by the way, it might get really hard. You want, you want to walk with Christ? That's awesome. Let me tell you about it. You know, as we share with people. But I think it might be good for us to say, you know what? You know what else Jesus says? It might get hard. Are you on board with that? Do you really want to be a Christian? What do we know? Those of us who have suffered a persecution, what do we already know? Who shows up in the persecution and gives us every last thing we need? Who does it? Anybody want to guess? The Spirit of God shows up and gives us all that we need in the face of persecution. So there's a lot more involved in Christianity than simply getting a lot of temporal blessing, getting God's favor. I know everybody wants God's favor, but hey, you know, in a temporal sense, but hey, here's God's ultimate favor. He's going to walk you through the trial, right? And He's going to be so real and so beautiful and so awesome in it that it will absolutely change your life. It's what God does in the trial. He changes His people's lives. This is not, you know, gratuitous pain. God is doing something in the trial. He's always doing something in the trial. He's never not doing something. This is our joy. Of course I can make it through the trial. Of course I can. My God's hands are on me and He's changing me. And I will be different and I'll love Him more when it's over. What an awesome promise, right? Beloved, we get to suffer. We get to suffer with Christ. This is so liberating. No more fear. No more anxiety. Whatever comes, comes. It's in the sovereignty of God. And God's at work in my life. I just, it's, yeah. It's amazing to me. It's awesome. So Christianity is a lot more than getting temporal blessing and having a little bit of eternal life on the back end. God says persecution's involved, tribulation's involved, hatred, insult, and false accusation is involved. So, if we've really given ourselves away to Christ, we will suffer to one degree or another. It's a done deal. It will happen. We don't look for it. We don't orchestrate it. But here's what we do. We expect it. And so, since we expect it, when it comes, we receive it. And God willing, we're prayed up. And God willing... Okay, this heat's about to melt my cupcake up here. So, um, I've got a cupcake up here for after. Um, okay, I lost my spot. We expect it. You know, I, I I've told you this many times. I'm always amazed. Christians come to me surprised that there's a trial in their life. I, and I lovingly say, don't you know that God is in the trial? Don't you know God's in the trial? Don't you know God means to meet you in the trial? It's James chapter 1. What does he say? Count it all grief 
when various trials afflict you. Count it all mourning and sadness when various trials come upon you. No, what does the Bible say? Count it all what? Joy! So why would we count a trial joy? Because God's coming. God's coming. I'm going to be changed. I'm a lightweight now. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, I'm a lightweight now. But when I come through, I'll be more of a disciple. Um, it's a powerful thing, beloved. You guys know the great text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9. through God says, God says it's necessary. These various trials are necessary to prove your faith and to bring glory to Christ. That you'll have the assurance of the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole text. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9. Go read it as you have time. But these are the two things that are going on in the trial. There are many things. God's always doing a billion things all at once. But these are the two things that Peter's talking about here. The trial is necessary. Jesus is seen as valuable as you walk through your trial in faith. And your faith is proven. Your faith is seen as genuine. I went through a really hard trial some years ago and I wasn't sure for a while if I was going to come through or not. But God brought me through. God brought me through. He just brought me through. And I can't tell you what a joy it is to have a trial-tested faith I wasn't blown away when the hard thing came. I was in great pain and sorrow. But I wasn't blown away. You know, you see some so-called, some professing Christians, they get mad at God and they never get over it. Obviously, those are only professing Christians. Is there anything more stupid or foolish for anyone to do than to get mad at God? Um... Does it get any more foolish than that? God says, these trials are necessary, that my Son will be honored on the last day, and that you will know your mind. You'll know it. There'll be no doubt in your mind. You'll know your mind because you've come through and I've met you there and I've changed you there. Beloved, this is an awesome thing. This is a beautiful Beautiful thing. So when the hard thing comes, do you see it as a gift? Do you see it? Uh, uh, do you count it as, as all joy as, as James says? I remember when John Piper got cancer, he talked about the gift of cancer. Well, why would anyone talk like that? Because God is sovereign and nothing comes into a person's life apart from the will of God. And God taught him much through that struggle. He came out a new man, a different man, more in love with Christ. Beloved, we get to suffer and we're never alone in it. I am not alone in the valley of the shadow of death. My God is with me. My God is changing me. This is Christianity. I know in most places it's dumbed down and it's, I'm okay, you're okay, happy church, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. Get God's favor. Listen, what is the best gift that God gives? It's Himself. It's Himself. And sometimes we get so enamored with the blessings that we forget to look at the One who gives the blessing. 
and we completely forget to be in love with Him. We love the blessing more than we love Him. We love health more than we love God. We love wealth more than we love God. We love prosperity more than we love God. This is another fallacy of the, of the prosperity gospel. God means for you to love Him supremely and He will teach you that. If you are His, He will teach you that. So, James says, James chapter 1, There, uh, I won't go to the text, but he says, you know, when your faith is tested, you, you, it produces endurance. And, and then you're made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And isn't that what you want as a Christian? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want your faith to, to be perfected? I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It made me think of Peter and the apostles over in Acts chapter 5. You remember what happened? They, they were preaching Jesus, and Jesus uh, resurrected, and the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leader, said, Stop doing it, or you know, you're going to be in big trouble. And what did the apostles say? Well, are we going to do what man says, or are we going to do what God says? And of course, they kept preaching. So the, the Sanhedrin flogged them, probably 39 lashes each, which is a brutal torture. You've seen the Passion of the Christ. But do you remember what they said when they came out? Anybody remember? I, this is one of those verses I never forgot. I, I can remember when I studied this probably right after I became a Christian, probably 31 years ago, right? Acts 5.41, they went on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. You say, Jim, I'm not a disciple. I just want to come to church when, I, when, it's on, when it's convenient to my schedule. I want, to make sure, I want to try to make sure I have my eternal, box, my eternal life box checked. I don't want to go to hell. That's really all I want from Christianity. Well, I've got to tell you, I don't have anything to say to you. I can't help you. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is I love Christ more than anything else. That's what Christianity is. It's not I want to assuage or assuage my, my concerns about hell and I just want to check my hell box. I want to, I want to do some you know, formula or pray some magic prayer or do an ordinance, uh, an ordinance so you know, I won't be going to hell. I just want to check the hell box in case it's real. I don't have anything. I can't help you. <laughs> That's not what I have to offer as the, a minister of the Gospel. Christianity is loving God. It's loving Christ. And it's walking with Him even when it's hard. That's what it is. And yes, sometimes we do get health, wealth, and prosperity because He's a great God, but He hasn't promised that every day of your temporal life. Sometimes you will be persecuted. Sometimes you will be insulted. Sometimes you will be afflicted. And sometimes it's simply about the fact that you're a Christian. You know, the whole world suffers, right? Why does the whole world suffer? The whole world suffers because we're in a fallen world. You know, you know, we rebelled against God. He put us in paradise, but we rebelled against Him. Judgment has fallen. That's why there's suffering in the world. You know, I get so irritated at people who ask me all the time, well, why would God allow this? Why does God allow this? Why is the world so messed up? Well, why is the world messed up? What does the Bible tell us? It's messed up because you're messed up and I'm messed up and every human being on the planet's messed up and we rebel against this great God and we are under judgment. The world is messed up because we are an evil species. 
So, everyone suffers, right? Because we live on this fallen planet. But Christians suffer in a, in a different way, in a new way, in an additional way. We suffer persecution because we make much of Christ. Back to what Paul said to Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So why does, why does the unbeliever persecute the believer? The unbeliever what? He hates. He hates who you represent. He hates what you say. He hates the light, the light that's reflecting off your life. He hates the, life, uh, the light that's reflecting off your words. He hates it. What, what, is, what does Jesus say in John chapter 3? Why, do, why does the, the unbeliever hate it? Because their deeds are evil and they will be exposed. Their evil deeds are exposed by the light that's coming off of you. Right? You bring conviction. And we know this happens even in families, right? That this, this separation comes. Let me just read from the words of Jesus. Matthew 10, Luke 12, both passages. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you no, but rather division. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A man against his father, a daughter against her mother. Some of us have experienced this kind of persecution. And it hurts a lot. It hurts a lot. Sometimes the members of our family who do not know Christ, their hatred lands on us. And some of you have experienced this. But we understand what Jesus is saying when He says, Matthew 10.37, He who loves father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me, and he who loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. Sometimes spouses leave. Sometimes children will become estranged. They don't want the truth. They hate the truth. And you are the truth. Jesus said, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. If you've lived very long, you've seen it. And some of you have maybe, unfortunately, experienced it. Beloved, we get to suffer. But here's what I want to say to you in the few minutes remaining. We get to suffer, but that's not the title of my sermon. I know I've been saying that over and over and over again. That's not the title of my sermon. You know what the title of my sermon is? <laughs> we get to overcome. Right? We get to suffer for the name of Jesus. And we learn about ourselves and we learn about our faith. Is it genuine or is it counterfeit? And God's, again, doing, doing myriad things in the trial. But here's the takeaway tonight. Yes, we will suffer for the name of Jesus. It will happen. It's the promise of God. It's in His Word multiple times. 
He tells us it will happen. But here's what I want to say to you. We get to suffer, but we will overcome. Amen? We will overcome because God brings His people through. He always brings His people through. You can't find a place from Genesis to Revelation where God doesn't bring His people through. We will overcome. We will overcome. So in our suffering for Christ's sake, let me just give you four quick things of the infinite number of things God is doing uh, at any point in time in your life. In suffering for Christ's sake, Jesus is on display. The people see us worshiping Christ in, a, in an excruciating situation. Jesus is made to look great. And it brings Him glory and honor and praise. 1 Peter 1. Secondly, our faith is tested, it is proven, it is validated, and we get assurance. You know why God wants you to, to be assured that you're a Christian? You know why the Lord wants you to be, uh, uh, have no doubt about the fact that you're a Christian? You know why? One reason, there are many, and I don't have time to recount them, but one for sure is that what? You'll live it! You'll live like you're a real Christian. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be intimidated. You go out there, you walk out, and you walk into that world, and you live like a son or daughter of the king. Amen? None of us do it perfectly. And I'm not standing here saying I do. And I'm preaching to myself as I always am. <laughs> hey man, I've got to preach to myself, get myself jazzed up. Right? I should be more jazzed. Maybe you should be more jazzed. I think if we spent more time looking to Christ, we'd be more jazzed. We'd be a whole lot less concerned about the little inconveniences and annoyances in life if we just simply look at Christ and love Him. Meditate deeply on who He is and what He's done in our life. Third thing, God is sanctifying us. He just is. He's just burning off the dross in the hard place. Fourthly, God is coming to us as I've already said. We talked about it the last week or two. God is disclosing Himself to us in obedience, particularly in obedience that brings persecution so we get to suffer because we love Jesus and we will overcome because he loves us <laughs> don't you love that I love it I hope you love it as well there's that great verse over in first John chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 for whatever is born of God what overcomes the world right and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We will overcome. Uh, that great uh, Greek verb there that's translated uh, overcome or victorious, it's the word, well, some of you may be wearing it tonight. It's the most famous athletic apparel in the world. What is it? What is the word? What is the Greek word? Nike. It's actually Nike. Nike. Which means ultimate victory! <laughs> you know, when you can't cry anymore! When you can't hurt anymore! You know you get the victory. You get the victory. Why do we get the victory? Because He's God and nobody else. We get the victory. 
our God gets the victory. We will get the victory. We will suffer. It's a promise of God. But we will overcome, beloved. You're supposed to expect the persecution. And then I pray that each one of us in this room, when it comes to us, we are ready to give a blessing to the persecutor. And watch it blow their mind. We don't hit back. We love back. This is what Christians do. I know it's supernatural, but that's the kind of life He's called us to, right? <laughs> he's called us to a supernatural kind of life. So, let me just close with this illustration. Samuel Rutherford, he was a 17th century Scottish minister who was jailed for his nonconformist preaching. He was persecuted for the name of Jesus. While in jail, he writes, If God had told me that He was about to make me the happiest man I could possibly ever be, and then He told me that He should begin by crippling me in all my limbs, meaning the chains, and removing me from all my usual sources of enjoyment, meaning prison, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing His purpose, and yet how His wisdom is manifest in this. He continues, For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out those lamps and throwing open the shutters and let the light of heaven come in. What's his point? What's his point? You think your happiness is about your career. You're looking at a little lamp. You think your happiness is about your health. You're looking at this little health lamp. You think your happiness is about prosperity. You're looking at your little prosperity lamp. You think, you think your happiness is about fame and acclaim or, or acceptance or popularity. You're looking at your little popularity lamp. God's going to get you off that stuff. That's one thing He's doing in the trial. He's going to get you off those petty, superficial, false pleasures and He's going to throw open the window and the light of heaven's going to come in and you're going to be changed when you look at God. You'll not be distracted with petty pleasures anymore. As C.S. Lewis says, you won't be so easily pleased anymore. I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. This man was in prison. And he said, it was the happiest I'd ever been. I'm looking at God. All the usual sources of enjoyment have been stripped away from me. And I've stopped idolizing those lamps. And I'm looking at God. I just think it's beautiful. So, when God begins to blow out your lamps, I pray you don't curse the wind. I pray you are ready. I pray that you expect it. And let me just close. You guys, Jesus talks about this overcoming over in Revelation over and over and over and over again. I'm just going to give a couple of verses and I'll be finished. Revelation 2.7 The overcomer, he shall eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11 We are overcomers. We will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.26 We are overcomers. We will be given authority over all the nations. Revelation 3.5 We are overcomers. Jesus says, I will confess your name before my Father. Listen, I know sometimes you have hard days, but does it get any better than that? 
that the Son will confess your name before the Father. I know it gets hard and I know it hurts and I know we weep, but take solace and consolation in the fact that the Son will speak your name to the Father. You can't stay down very long if you think deeply about it. Revelation 3.21, the overcomer. We are overcomers and Jesus says, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. This is another breathtaking, jaw-dropping thing. Revelation 21.7, we are overcomers and we shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, we get to suffer. But it's not wasted pain as it is for the unbeliever. It's just wasted pain for the unbeliever. We get to suffer. And God meets us there. And God does what only God can do in the hard place. And He changes us there. Irrevocably changed. Forever changed. So listen, when the hard thing comes, I hope you expect it. I hope you will understand that even if you're not feeling it, you understand what the Bible says. You're supposed to count this as joy. This is, this is grown-up Christianity, right? <laughs> and maybe some of us in this room aren't ready to be grown-ups. I pray that's not true. The children's class is right in there, by the way, if uh, that's what you're interested in. Hey, when you come in here, I'm going to love you as much as I can. And the way I can love you is, God willing, is to push you deeper into Christ. That's really all I'm trying to do. Whenever you come in here, I want to go deeper. And I suspect that's what most of you want as well. So beloved, we get to suffer. <laughs> and we will overcome. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful truth. Thank You for warning us. Forgive us if we've had some superficial understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Forgive us, Lord, if we're looking at our lamps of career and relationship and money and fame and popularity and pleasure. Lord, forgive us if we are idolizing any of these things. Lord, thank You that You love us so much You won't leave us alone. Thank You, Lord, that You love us so much You won't leave us to ourselves. Thank You that You are burning off the dross. We want our faith to be shown to be genuine. And we want Jesus to be magnified in it. And we want to find our assurance as You meet us in the trial. Oh God, these are beautiful things, weighty things, wonderful things. Thank You, Father, that You love us like this. Thank You that You never take Your hands off the clay. Thank You that You press down sometimes really, really hard. And You change us inside and out. Thank You, Father, that we get to suffer for the name of Jesus. It sounds hard and scary. But it's part of the job description. 
So Lord, we will believe by faith that You will give us all we need when it comes. And Lord, when it comes, we want to be Your people and we want to love the persecutor. This is supernatural. None of us can do this in our flesh. But as we simply release our lives into Your hands, You can do it through us. Lord God, we love You. We praise You. What an awesome God. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Have a great week. God bless. If you have any questions, as always, I'll be happy to try to answer if I haven't made myself clear. If I've been confusing in any way, I'm at the other end of the email address. I'm happy to try to clear up any mistakes or confusion I've created. I love you guys. Have a great week. God bless. You're dismissed.